to another episode of the bannerman and the trade deadline is almost here but for the kings they were involved in kicking things off in this trade season how are you tonight vardy i'm good man how you doing i'm doing okay uh i wanted to check on you most importantly because your boy your favorite player of all time marion gabrick has Mm. been traded to the ottawa senators so (laughs) how you doing you okay you know, I've cried, <laughs> I've reminisced, I've hugged my Marion Gabrick bobblehead. Nice. Just like any normal human being would do in a situation like this. And I think I've come out on the other end of it a better person. A I better think so fan. too. I mean, thank you. You look, thank you. You look much better than you did a few days ago. So that's I, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. Yeah, so let, let's kind of break the trade down a little bit. Um, Dion Phaneuf, Nate Thompson to the Kings. Phaneuf, that's 25% retained. Marion Gabrick and Nick Shore go to Ottawa. Um, when you break it down for the Senators, this is strictly a money-saving deal, I suppose. It's not a big money-saving deal, um, but it does save them a little bit of cash moving forward. And they are and have been historically a, a, cat, uh, a cap team, meaning they don't... They have an internal cap. They don't like going to the actual NHL cap. Uh, they like to, more of a floor team, really. Yeah, maybe a, a middle team. I don't even know how to describe that, but cheap. How's yeah, that? they're and, a cheap team. And the the other side for the Senators, of course, is that they're probably going to try to sign Eric Carlson at some point here. And when you're trying to sign a player of his ilk, probably every penny uh, of your internal cap matters. Um, for the Kings, uh, I guess it's about, I don't know, taking an asset that's taking up some of your cap space and turning it into an asset that maybe you need a little more uh, than you do the other one. So I guess the question is, what do we think of this trade, Vardy? Let's go with you first. All right. Well, first and foremost, uh, yes, it was one of the greatest joys of my hockey watching life to see Marion Gabrick not only play for the Kings, but lift the cup for the Kings and significantly contribute during that postseason run. And so I'm grateful to have had that happen. I think very few people uh, get a chance to see their favorite player who doesn't play for their, you know, their home team necessarily get traded to their home team and do well while he was here. I think, I think, you know, fair or not, uh, Gabby certainly at the end of his NHL career. I don't think anyone would argue that, but I don't necessarily think that he's a throwaway guy either. You know what I mean? Um, I, I would argue that on certain teams, and I think the example I brought up with you, and I can't believe that they've become like the the team that we compare things to now. But like if you put him on like Vegas or something like that, or even even a place like Tampa, I think he's he's still a twenty goal scorer. Um, he still got his shot and he showed that. I didn't, I didn't think he was having a particularly bad season thus far for the Kings. It was just this recent run and you could argue that the entire team wasn't doing particularly well. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I think I, I understand why the trade happened, right? He was playing bottom six minutes, if that, and our bottom six has been crowded to begin with. Um, and he had a huge cap hit, wasn't necessarily living up to that cap hit. And you could see that the production was dwindling um, overall. And that, you know, as any good organization should have, younger players were coming up and pushing for that, for that spot. You know, guys like uh, Alex Iafalo, who, yes, is playing in the top six, but no one was projecting him to be in the lineup this far through the year. And then you have Mike Amadio coming in. Johnny Brzezinski's been in and out of the lineup. I think... With, when you take into account all of those things, Marion Gabrick ends up being the odd man out. And so it was a matter of, as you mentioned, converting an asset that you have that you don't necessarily need into an asset that maybe, again, doesn't live up to how much they're getting paid, but fits a better need on your team in Dion Phaneuf. And Dion Phaneuf is a name that we've been hearing you know, bandied about for, man, I feel like it's been over a decade and I realize that's that's saying a lot but 
I just feel like every single time I would hear about the Kings trying to get a defenseman, Dion Phaneuf's name would come up, partly because his his wife, Alicia Cuthbert, is is obviously an actress, and so you always got that like little inkling of, of well, they'd be more willing to come to your team, they'd fit in so well in the culture, etc. It's the old Janet Gretzky. Exactly, uh, the Janet Jones right? effect. <laughs> yeah, the Janet Jones effect. Or if you want to look at more modern, you know, the uh, the Mike Fisher, um, uh, oh man. Carrie uh, Underwood. Carrie Underwood effect, thank you, <laughs> yeah. of, of him being in Nashville and, you know, being beloved in that way. And it's it's funny because if you think about it, Nate Thompson's fiance, because he's marrying that chick from, from Flipper Flop, isn't he? <laughs> the one that got divorced and she's... Oh, really? No. I didn't know that. Yeah, man, he's been dating that chick. It's a, what's her name? Christina... Yeah, something. Yeah. I know who that yeah. is. I know yes. who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know why I know, I'm, but I do know. I, you know, I'm up to date with these things. I read my Us Weeklies, and I, I keep I keep abreast of all the hockey, hockey player, uh, wife content. Yeah, abreast is a good word. A abreast is a good hey. word in this situation. Brumch. I think it's exactly that. I think it's bringing in a guy to fill a position that you need, and Dionfenov is not the player that he was. Certainly, we don't expect him to be. Um, and Nate Thompson is a guy that, yeah, whatever, he'll hang around for 30, 30 more games and then they won't re-sign him. Um, and really, if you look at the cap cost, this ends up costing the Kings an extra $1 million on the cap. Um, you get a player who's three years younger than Gavrik, and maybe you know you replace that physical element that you had with a guy like Robin Regeer, let's say. You know, yeah. I think that's the logic behind this trade. Yeah, no, um, you're you're right on that one. One thing I want I do want to say is that I, when the trade went down, all of a sudden, a lot of fans came out of the woodwork and said, Gabrick isn't even an NHL player. Uh, he's basically trash at this point. Can't play the game anymore. Keep in mind that this is a player who had, I believe, fourteen points in like twenty nine games, something like that. Which, yes, it's not the old Marion Gabrick numbers, but. Not bad. I mean, I understand that most of those points came in a very short amount of time in a small stretch, but I didn't. I don't know. I don't know. It frustrated me that people were quick to dismiss him and basically that he's done, his career's over, and what a trade by Rob Blake. You know, like, wow, they were really amazed at the work Rob Blake did to throw away such a useless player like Marion Gabrick to get a top four defenseman. And here. Here's what I'm going to say about this, all right? Marion Gabrick is not that bad, and Dion Phaneuf is not that good. That's the bottom line here. You know, I don't think Dion Phaneuf is a top-four defenseman anymore, and that's just in terms of minutes. I think if you keep him 15 to 18, he could probably play mistake-free hockey. I think he's... The main thing I do like about Dion uh, is his, number one, his experience. I think that was lacking on the Kings back end big time this season. You could see it. You could see through, I don't know, the first 25 games. You could start seeing cracks with Curtis McDermott, with uh, uh, Forbert, with all the young players they had up. And another thing I like about Dion Phaneuf is that if you talk about a professional, a guy who carries himself the right way, a, co- a guy who speaks to the media the right way, who says the right things, I dare say... You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that compares to him in the way he is a professional hockey player, the way he carries himself. So I do like that. You know, I think those are those are great, great things to have on a team. Now, about the trade, you know, when I first heard about it, I kind of shrugged, you know. I don't think it's a bad deal. I think if you really break it down, the Kings are probably better today than they were before the trade. But also, am I doing backflips and calling Rob Blake the GM of the year? No, I think he, what I do appreciate about what he did is he didn't give up any futures. He didn't give up any draft picks. He got a little bit creative to get a player that probably makes your back end better. And I think even moving forward in the trade deadline, that's probably what he's going to do. I don't think you're going to see the Kings selling off any picks. Uh, First or seconds, I think you're not going to see any movement from the Kings in that department. I don't think they're going to give up any of their top to mid prospects even. I think they're going to just look for hockey deals because we've heard now that the Kings are looking for a middle six 
forward, um, whatever that means. I mean, I mean, I know what it means. The second or third liner, someone who could jump up to the top six and who can play in the bottom six. And even when they do go out and get that player, if they go out and get that player, you are not going to see Rob Blake throw out a first, a second, a top prospect. You know, names like Kale Clegg, like Anderson Dole and Velarde, these guys are not being traded. And fans of other teams, stop asking for those players in your little tweets or whatever, in your dream trade scenarios, all right, at the deadline. Um, but yeah, overall, are we better? Probably. Um, is this some kind of genius, you know, move by Rob Blake and is Marion Gabrick trash and is Dion Phaneuf the defenseman we've been waiting for? Probably not. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, it, it, you just have to look at the kinds of points that he got. Like, they weren't your, oh, he happened to be there and it banked off his ass and it went in kind of goals. You know what I mean? Like, you could just look back at, at his, uh, you know, his uh, 400th goal and, and 400th assist. Like, he was when he was contributing, he was an effective player and he was someone that you were noticing on the ice. That's that's how I look at it. And it's just difficult, I think, for him to be that kind of player game in and game out. And I don't wow. know how much of that is a decline in his physical ability, which I'm sure there's a, a fair amount of, or how much of that is the team itself still struggling to figure things out. Because really, aside from Kopitar being consistent day in and day out, which other player on the forward side has been you know, a constant contributor. We've been waiting all year for Toffoli and Pearson to really just be the players that they were even last season. And you could, again, attribute that to the absence of Jeff Carter. But if that's what it comes down to, then then you're basically arguing that Toffoli and Pearson are players who can't do it themselves and they need someone like Carter Absolutely. to facilitate it in order for them to come out and play. Absolutely. Right. So if you're, if you're not going to blame Toffoli and Pearson because they're younger, right, what other reason do you have? Then... I don't think you could fairly say that Marion Gabrick isn't playing or putting up, you know, his part either. You're, yeah. the, everyone's sitting there waiting for Carter then in that sense. Yeah, and Toffoli and Pearson, they're not young players anymore. They are right. now they're NHL. Younger. Yeah, they're younger. They're NHL veterans right now. And they're in a rut to say the least so much so that I think Adrian Kempe has been consistently outplaying both of them on a nightly basis. And like you said, you could say, oh, get Carter back and they'll be fine. But you know what? If their production is linked to Carter's availability, right. how much, then... How much good do right. get from that? Not right. only are they in trouble, the Kings are in trouble. Because, you know, Adrian Kempe isn't chopped liver. He's not some guy who, you know, we're kind of experimenting with. I think he's established somewhat that he can be a dangerous player on any given night. And I think for the last stretch here, even though the Kings have, you know, kind of struggled... He has been dangerous every night. You know, the most recent game in Pittsburgh, I thought he was one of the best forwards on the ice. You know, yeah, he got that assist on Fanuf's goal, but just, you know, when you're talking about body language, he looks engaged. He looks like he's on top of the puck. He wants the puck. Yes, inexperience will sometimes hurt him, which is fine as long as you have that kind of mentality that you're hungry for the puck and you're going to go get the puck. And, and the point is that you can't, you know... This whole Jeff Carter, oh, wait till Carter comes back thing, like, if Jeff Carter was in the lineup against Pittsburgh, maybe he we get one more, you know? Maybe mm-hmm. the matchups are a little bit better. But games against Carolina and, and those blowout losses that we had recently, I don't care who you get, it's not going to work. And the main problem with the Kings, to me right now, and I guess we're segueing a little bit here, is is they do, the team is really lacking an identity at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think... We kind of saw that all season. When things were going good, you don't really think about things like that. You know, when the Kings were building that cushion in the Pacific, you don't really say, oh, you know what, what's this team's identity? When the Kings were successful under Lombardi and Sutter, their identity was was crystal clear. They were a heavy right. team, a defensive team. They relied on defense and goaltending to win. Um, they needed, you know, high-end offensive players to get goals. But you knew every night. When you went in to play the Los Angeles Kings, exactly how that team was going to play. And the problem to me right now is that they don't have that right now. You know, I think every game we're getting something different with this team. And to a certain degree, I think we expected that in the offseason. We also mentioned that expectations expectations change as the season goes on. But yeah, to me, it's clear right now the team is still figuring out who they are. 
I don't expect them to win the Stanley Cup this season. Uh, but again, you'll you'd be hard pressed to find a truly successful team that does not have an identity as a hockey club. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I and I think again, if you want to look at a team that has found their identity and has been able to harness it towards success in a short period of time, again, I think you look at the Golden Knights, right? Like these these guys have basically come out and decided that they're going to play fast break hockey in a lot of ways and. They look like they're having fun every game that I've managed to watch of them. It's just, we're going to do this. We're going to try this. We're young. We're fast. We don't really particularly care. No one expected much. Our coach is really letting us have a little bit of freedom, and that's what they're doing. And I thought for a short period of time that the Kings were going to try and transition to being that kind of a team as well. When they were doing well, that's the type of, of game that I thought I was seeing. It was a bit more um, goals off of the rush, less of a cycle game, which has kind of been their identity in the past. And pucks were going in. Now maybe that's a little bit of luck, which every team has when they start going on, you know, long winning streaks. But I'm just not seeing that type of established offensive game anymore. And to to make it even worse, the defensive game is nowhere near what it was before. And so it's tough when your offense isn't working the way that the new system wants to work and your defense isn't working the way that the old system used to work where you would just kind of shut everything down and wait for your opportunity and score on that on that you know on that opportunity so they struggle they continue to struggle against teams that you know you whether you like it or not they should be beating I, I think the Carolina game that they recently got molly whopped in was that's that's a really good example of it all season long, Carolina is a team now that's that's probably been um, playing below their expectations and below what their advanced stats would indicate. They're essentially doing what the Kings were doing last season, where the Corsi and, and Fenwick and everything imply that they should be a much better team in the standings. They just haven't quite been able to break through in that way. But the difference being that I, I think back to the other Carolina game, not, not this one that we lost, but the one... Um, prior that we also lost, but man, we were holding on for dear life against them. Most of that, you know, I mean, that's the kind of game that they play. That's their identity. And the Kings, like you mentioned, some weeks they come around, they play like that team. Some days they come around and they're not really sure if they want to play kind of a 50-50 game and still fall back on their defensive tendencies. And then I see some games where they're really trying to go back and play Daryl Sutter, Daryl Sutter era hockey, and they're just not successful anymore because they don't have those types of players anymore. You know, like you're relying on the Derek Forberts of the world to be shut down defensemen, and it's just not happening. And the record since the All Star break pretty much tells you exactly that, right? I mean, it's this roller coaster type uh, feeling with the team where they're coming out of the break. You know, they pretty much dominate Dallas. I know the score was only 3 nothing. I say only, but to say someone a team dominated, I thought the Kings probably the best 60-minute effort, you know, quote-unquote. I don't really like that cliche. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it was their best full game. Then they go get stomped by Nashville the very next game. Stomped, 5 nothing. They weren't even in the building. Mm -hmm. Next game, they beat Arizona 6 nothing. Yeah, 6 nothing. Uh, Edmonton 5-2. They beat Florida 3-1, and then Tampa, a real good game, you know, 4-3 loss. That's a loss I can accept. And then that Carolina stinker, you know, and, and that kind of shows you how the team is going right now. Hot and cold, up and down, kind of ever since I would say December-ish, this is how it's been looking for this team. And mm -hmm. it goes back to what we just talked about. I think they're, they're still trying to figure out who they are what they are, what kind of true system they want to play, what kind of style of team they want to be. Now, that being said, for this season anyway, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of time left to figure it out because I believe they have 25 games left at this point and they're probably going to need to win 14 or 15 of those to make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're just running out of runway and we, we've talked about this and... Um, uh, we all expect Jeff Carter to be back by the end of this month, I think. Um, but are, is there going to be enough time for when he comes back 
to make a difference in the standings when you're going back and forth with five other teams for that wild card spot. You know, um, they're fortunate to be in the division that they're in because they they if they were in the central, I don't think they would have a, a shot at it. Quite frankly, there's just too many other teams um, that are right there with them. But at least in our division, it's both San Jose and um, and Calgary are, are kind of you know going back and forth with us too, and so we can. We can make a play for it if we can just get everything together. Um, but then you raise the question of, um, it, are we just going to sneak into the playoffs or is this going to be a team that kind of gets hot and gets into the playoffs? If they do, it's tough to predict. It really is tough to predict. I mean, I'd like to think that once Jeff Carter gets back in the lineup, it's going to make a significant difference up and down the lineup again for guys like Toffoli and Pearson and maybe everything clicks and, you know, the Jeff Carter effect is is as overwhelming as we hope it'll be, but I I can't I can't sit there with all good conscience and watch these games until then and you know expect that they could be five two kings or it could be seven two of the opponent. It's well, no, just, the real I think the real issue is if let's say you expect Carter back on the twenty fourth, what have you, twenty sixth, mm-hmm. even twenty second, okay. There's still three games between now and then, the 22nd being the best-case scenario. And if you can't pull together some wins in these right. three games with the likes of Calgary, San Jose, Anaheim winning games on the other side, I don't think I don't know how much it's going to matter that Jeff Carter comes back. Right. And we talked about this last episode. I think you and I said 22nd, let's say, is, is a good time for Carter to come back after this road trip. And we mentioned that, hey, you got to win games. And they've won a few. But the way they're going right now, it's now it's kind of nut-cutting time, right? Like, you have to beat Buffalo tomorrow. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, mm-hmm. Is it a must-win? No. it's Look, must-win, I don't even know what that means. What is a must-win? You know, like, if they lose tomorrow, guess what? They go into Chicago on the 19th, and they play, and they now have to win that game. So I don't know if it's a must-win. But you got to start beating teams you're supposed to beat, and Buffalo is one of those teams. I'd argue Chicago is one of those teams at this point of the Absolutely. season. Absolutely. So absolutely right. So you know, it's we're we're past now. Everything's going to be awesome when Jeff Carter comes back. I think we're past that point, and I think that's the point you and I are both making, and we made with Toffoli and Pearson, is that the turnaround has to come tomorrow, starting in Buffalo. I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs if they lose to the Sabres but if you think about the team they're facing without Jack Eichel um the situation they're in uh that team's pretty much you know bottom of the barrel lottery team you lose that game that's going to do some more damage than just on the standings I think that's going to hurt your psyche that's going to hurt your confidence right and it's one of those like key games at this point and who would have who would have thought February 17th against the Buffalo Sabres is a game that you would be looking at and saying, yeah, this is a this is a big one right here. Yeah, so if you want to play a little bit of projecting, let's say, right? So you look at their schedule for the rest of the regular season. If you're assuming that they need somewhere between 95 to 98 points traditionally to make the playoffs, right. okay? Right. Um, and they currently sit at, let me take a quick look at the standings here. I think I think I saw that they needed something like 15 wins. Okay, let's say 15 wins, 15, right. 16 wins. Okay, so games that are left that I think you would project that in most scenarios the Kings should beat these teams. So you buff you have Buffalo. That's one. Blackhawks. I, again, I would argue that they should win that game, especially without Corey Crawford in there. The the Hawks have been struggling mightily. Right, and so. You have to be able to take advantage of that situation. So there's two right there, right? Right. Winnipeg, fully expect them to lose that game. Winnipeg's a great team this season. They're playing in Winnipeg. That is that is a tough win for almost any team. So fine. We won't count that one. Dallas, I would argue that's a 50-50. They have, I've been surprised before. They can win or they can lose. So the Oilers next, so that's three. They've been able to beat the Oilers pretty well, pretty easily throughout the season. They should be able to do that one. Right. The back-to-back against Vegas. See, you got to steal some points here, man, because that's an eight-point swing. I know you're not going to catch know. Vegas, right? You're not going to catch Vegas at this point. I have accepted right. that. But it's still right. an eight-point swing, and it's still an right. expansion team, and they're still kind of now for the first time, I think they're having a little bit of trouble. You know, they're not just smoking through opponents anymore. 
right. and also that's that's another game like the Buffalo game where it's a confidence game. If you can if you can win both, and I know that's asking a lot, but if you can go back to back and beat Vegas back to back nights, yeah, but dude, like I know it's tough, but if you're if you're a team that's gonna make the playoffs, you gotta beat some tough teams. We can't just go through the schedule and say look at all the teams where like they can beat and hopefully there's 15 of those games. Well, I guess the argument I'm making is that there isn't 15 of those games. Right, if you look right. through this, I think at best you have you know maybe nine nine games or what I'm seeing here that I would say that like okay, these are teams that I've seen them play well this season and that I think they should be beating. You know, you got one, two, three, another Hawk, Hawks game. That's four. Vancouver, who, God, for the life of me, I don't know why we struggle with them. But again, I would hope that they could pull it together and win another one. So that's four, five against the Coyotes, another one against Detroit, six. You could put together a little streak there. Minnesota, maybe. New Jersey, maybe. Colorado, seven. Oilers, again, eight. Calgary, you have to almost win that game on March 26th. You have to win that game. That's a a four-point game. You have to win. You're probably going to still be battling with them up until that point. Right. Um, Then the Coyotes, again. And then you close it out with the Ducks, Avalanche, uh, Wild, and Stars again. So I think I think if you look at this, there's maybe about ten games, okay, of the remaining games that you're like, all right, these are these are these are games that if I were to plug this into my NHL 2018 and just hit simulate this game, <laughs> the, Kings, the Kings should end up winning that game, right? Right. Because yeah, who's going to sit there and play all 82 games, right, guys? That's crazy. Um, That's just crazy. It's not like I've done it every year or anything. Anyway. In dynasty mode for six straight seasons. <laughs> um, but that's what I'm saying. So you're talking about you're going to need to put together somewhere between five or six wins or 10 to 12 points in however format you want to find them in addition to winning these nine to ten games to make it to what's traditionally considered the playoff benchmark. So you're going to have to start beating some teams that maybe you don't expect to beat. Absolutely. And maybe we don't expect you to beat. You have to surprise us. And while you're doing that, you have to not drop these games against teams like Carolina and Vancouver who are, you know, chum for the rest of the league. No, I agree. You got to win tough games. And and you could go back and look at every playoff year. If you made the playoffs, you beat good teams in games where maybe on paper you shouldn't have beat them, right? Like, I, I look at games like Washington on the 8th. Like, you have to steal that. Like, you have to show up at home, outplay a, a team that's probably better than you, and you got to get that W. You said it yourself that games like that can be very effective for the psyche as well of the team, right? Because if you look at those little runs that they had in the beginning of the season where they where they won like eight in a row or whatnot, they were beating teams that you wouldn't... Yes, there were some games in there that they were winning that you felt like they should have, but they were also beating teams that you maybe didn't expect them to and in ways that you didn't expect them to. I think that Boston game with Toffoli scoring the goal with 0.9 seconds, we talked about it when it happened, and... We still talk about it. We still hear about it on the broadcasts. You know, every time, every like the other day when we had that whole lineup against um, against uh, Tampa, right, right, to do a very similar play. I mean, it was just like moments like that linger within the locker room, linger within the minds of the people who watch the game, who cover the team, and they become kind of a rallying cry, uh, an identity that they're trying to forge as a team that doesn't give up, that finds a way to win games like that that are close, and. There's no way to put a value on on wins like that, on wins against teams that you maybe aren't expected to beat. So, yeah, if you go into that, say, that two-game stretch against Vegas and you beat them both of those games, that's huge in so many ways. And it reflects a lot, perhaps, for the team turning a bit of a corner going into the last stretch of games and into the playoffs, hopefully. Yeah, you mentioned that Tampa game, and I just want to sidetrack a sec. What about that save by Andre Vasilevsky? That behind the back glove save on Kopitar. That might be. I don't like using hyperbole too much, but that has to be like a top five save all time just because of how stupid it was, right? Like. (laughs) (laughs) He was going wide, bro. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about that. And I don't think you no, know I, about that. Was, I, 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 I think know. that was a least post. That was very. I, I, mean, I looked at that shot from every angle, and I'm like, 
Kopi's on a, is a left hand shot coming down the left wing, takes that shot. I mean, that thing is wow. pegged for the top corner. I mean, it's one, it's one of those hockey plays that I know this is like insane to even say, but it's one of those plays where you thank technology for the creation of video and YouTube, so you could basically have that live on forever because it was just. It's why you love hockey, man. Like, crazy, crazy things like that. And honestly, I think with that save, he locked the Vesna for the season. Because I one save obviously does not make a season. But to do that on top of the season you're having, man, I gotta, you got to tip your cap to that guy. That was yeah. insane. Yeah. Like, if that's Peter Budai making that save, you're like, man, that's, that's going in the career highlight reel with... Vasilevsky, I, I think I agree with you. You know, you, you're having a good season. That puts the cherry on top of things, and that's the that's the clip that they're playing at the NHL awards ceremony. Right, right. And and everyone's like, all right, come on. You know, how are you going to argue with this? Um, that's what you need, man. That's what you need. And if you if you think back to some of these games um, or some of the seasons where the Kings have been the team that's on the other side of that, you know, like the Scorpion kick saves that, that Jonathan Quick yeah. has made a habit of, or you know. The fact that you can go into the computer and Google Jonathan Quick as a Jedi and find like <laughs> clips about him doing insane stuff, right? That's that's the type of that's the type of thing that that makes a really really big difference in the psyche of a team and really brings everyone together as as a good team. Yeah, and speaking of goaltending, um, spotlight's been on Jonathan Quick as of late. He's had his struggles. Uh, throughout this last stretch after the All-Star break. He's had good games. He's had bad games. I'd say maybe outplayed by Darcy Kemper a little bit. Um, the Carolina game, not good. <laughs> Didn't look too great there. But I thought in the Pittsburgh game, he had a pretty solid outing. Uh, hopefully he can string together some uh, some positive starts here. Yeah, and, and this isn't this isn't to put it all on Jonathan Quick, right? Like I think, I don't know how much of this last run of losses I, I would even put on him I mean there's been maybe a few more goals than than you would hope for but none of them are like egregious you know Tommy Sallow half half eye shots and stuff like that that are going in you know what I mean it's it's I think for the most part I, I can find really no big issue in his game um Nothing that I can, and you know, if he's having an off night, then Darcy Kemper comes in, and you know, he he strung together a couple of wins for us too through this little stretch, and you're going to need that from your backup through the course of a season. It's just, I I think if the team in front of him is playing a little bit better, both on offense and defense, then you don't have to rely so much on Jonathan Quick making insane saves to keep you in every game. And unfortunately, I can't look at games where they're losing six two and seven three and say. That's 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 on John Quick, you know what I mean? It's just I, I watch them play both sides of the puck, and I'm just not seeing that same drive, that same creativity, or whatever that essence is that led them to have such successful games offensively um, earlier on in the season. Yeah, and that's really what it is. It's just that disparity between what we have now and or what we see now and what we saw in the beginning of the year. One more thing I want to ask you is the, is about the Dustin Brown suspension. Uh, I know mm-hmm. we're we're now a couple of games late on this, but what did you think about that? What did you think about first of all the hit and then the suspension that followed? So, I think the hit is one of those I I think it's one of those unfortunate instinct plays, right? Like you're lining to you're lining up to hit a guy or to cut him off in a particular direction and he makes a last minute you know, cut the opposite direction and you instinctively, you're not necessarily trying to stick your knee out, but you're trying to figure out a way to like change your direction to keep up with which, whichever way they're going. And the first thing you end up doing is kind of stopping and putting your knee in that direction. So I, I don't think that his intention was to stick the knee out and knee Nemestikov. Okay. That being said, that's, that's unfortunately what happened. Unfortunately, there wasn't an injury to Nemesnikov, as as we've seen a good amount of times. That's exactly where you get ACL tears and the knee buckles back and stuff like that. But it's hard for a guy like Dustin Brown, who has been trying to be more of a physical presence, like he has been in the past. And then you you know you talk about um, 
the the kind of questionable cross check board whatever that he got right. away with a fine. I think there's only so many blips that can show up on the radar before something has to happen as a means of saying like, see, we took care of it. You know, we addressed it. We didn't we didn't ignore behavior like this. Yeah, because you can't just keep you can't just keep finding one person when you know you would otherwise suspend someone else for a very similar act. No, you know what I mean. No, I'm with you. Like if if Brad if Brad Marchand did that, everyone would be like, "Typical rat," you know, guy, <laughs> guy, guy should be out of the game, kind of thing. Exactly. So I I'm I'm capable of looking at it from both of those ways and being like, "Hey, man, if he does something that that's deserving of a suspension, I'm not going to sit there and microanalyze it and say the knee wasn't really out and it hit in the thigh and it was the shoulder connected." It comes like, "Come on, if anyone did that to me." While I was playing, and I could still walk afterwards, I would probably get up and start swinging. So that's that's just what it comes down to. I thought the uh, Schultz hit was worse. I thought the Schultz hit warranted a suspension. This one, look, Dustin Brown is a reckless player. All right, let's call a spade a spade here. He he plays with a little bit of reckless abandon, and I think whatever reputation he has, it's somewhat earned. You know, I don't think he's an angel. I don't think, you know, he <clears throat> he's the cleanest player or the most honest player. I mean, he play, he plays an honest game, yes, but he also plays in that gray area very much. And I thought this one, I don't think he made contact with his knee. I think it was a I think shin. It was, above. it was like upper It was actually lower. Or... No, it was like really? shin on shin. Yeah. If you look at the replay, it looks more like a trip than it does a okay. knee. And I understand why the ref would would give him the five in the game for because they don't have the benefit of instant replay. Obviously we do. Um, I thought that, okay. So you look at that as the league office or whatever, George Peros is now in that role. If you look at that, you're like, okay, he got a five in a game for what looks like it's a trip, you know? And that's why I kind of don't understand the one game suspension on top until I kind of take a pause and realize that that's probably because he should have been suspended for the Schultz hit. That he's right. probably dodged a lot of bullets before, and that the backlash of him not getting suspended for this would maybe be too great uh, for Mustache George to handle in this <laughs> case. So I maybe that's what it is. I'm not like upset, you know. I'm not like you know pitchforks and torches and all this. No, it's fine. It's fine. He probably throughout his career probably had a hit where he should have been suspended, and now whatever it evens out for me. Right. But but I was kind of surprised that of all the hits he's quote unquote gotten away with that this is the one, you know, a borderline trip where he didn't really extend his knee, uh, for him to get his second suspension of his career. Yeah, but I mean, again, you just if you show up enough times across someone's desk, they're gonna have to do something to send a message. Not necessarily just to you, but to the rest of the league. You can't just be like, "Well, we're not going to do this because I know Dustin. He's a family guy, and he, you know, means well and and whatnot." Like it's, you would do it for anyone else. And so I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the suspension, really. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings in any way. No, I'm not too upset about it. I'm not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's pretty much what's going on with the team. Um, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a race to the finish. Hopefully. The team does kind of turn it around. Hopefully, the addition of Fanouf does stabilize the defense somewhat moving forward. And hopefully, let's, Jeff... Let's not, by the way, let's not understate the value of the loss of Nick Shore. <laughs> you know what's funny, man? People actually upset about Nick Shore being traded. Here's, here's a fun fact that I read, and I, brought the, I, I texted this to you. Do you realize that Marion Gabrick, in his entire Kings career, okay has played a whopping seven more games than Nick Shore. Nick Shore has played 221 games as a Los Angeles King. Tell me how many of those games you actually remember Nick Shore being... Playing in? <laughs> I mean, when... Come on. Yeah. Come on. Nick Shore was a guy that I think everyone... Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but I think the organization got a little excited about because he did well in the AHL. And they thought that that would project to him being a good third-line center with some face-off capabilities, and he was going to step in, and he was going to be the next Jared Stoll, and everything was going to go great. And it's just never come to pass. And I appreciate, I appreciate that Blake 
in a way, gave him this much of a season, which if you look at the numbers in his play, I, I think no one would argue that this is by far his best NHL season thus far. But it's still, I mean, where does where does this project out to? You know what I mean? Like, is he are, are we going to keep waiting four more years for him to become a 40 point guy? Is that is that what the goal is here? Because. You just don't you don't have that time and you don't need to have that time anymore. When you have guys like Ayafalo and Brzezinski and Amadio that can come in and potentially play that game for you, and especially now that you have Adrian Kempe, who you're essentially targeting to be your third line center of the future, if not a little bit higher, depending on how things go with Carter and Kopitar's career and his own career, where does that leave Nick Shore? And what is your what is your goal exactly with a guy who's an RFA at the end of the season? Are you going to resign him for five more years because he can win some faceoffs and stuff? If it's not working out, I appreciate that Blake is willing to scrap it for a bottom six guy. I think one of the bigger problems that we had during the Lombardi Sutter era, and this was bred out of you know the team winning, is that everyone suddenly became valuable. Everyone became you know a key cog in the machine, and so you end up with guys like Kyle Clifford with five-year deals and stuff like that you don't need that you don't need guys like that on your roster for five years because there's that that's just a roster spot that you're preventing a younger player from potentially coming in and filling for a cheaper you know contract and also for their own sake of professional development right so and, and by the way I'm i think the king the loss of make sure right and by the way i think the king still have some work to do in clearing out some some more of those contracts Question. Particularly on the bottom six, I mean, there is just a redundancy there that is just crazy. And now you add Nate Thompson, and it's just like, what do we have? Like twelve bottom six forwards right now that could probably play and like mirror the game that the other guys play. It's it's crazy. And I think the Kings still have some work to do in that respect. I think probably Blake will address it at some point. I don't know. I don't know what what really he's thinking, but. Yeah, I mean, turnover. The roster's got to turn over. It, there's got to be some kind of flow to the way people are walking out of your roster and walking into your roster. And I think maybe that's something that this new management team is trying to accomplish uh, that the Lombardi, the end of the Lombardi era anyway, had absolutely none of um, until it was pretty much too late. You know, right. uh, so that's that. Nick Shore, happy trails. Thanks for the memories. Um I don't know which one I'll remember. Which ones are those? <laughs> I don't know. I think he had an overtime goal, I think. That was cool. He did. Against Anaheim. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Someone whip up the career highlights and put it on YouTube. Should be short work. Uh, so let's let's get on that, guys. Um, but yeah, trade deadline's coming up, Vardy. What I want to do is kind of throw out some names at you. Uh, this is taken from the TSN trade bait list. And some other websites that have basically the top targets for teams who are buyers at the trade deadline. So what we're going to do is I'm going to throw out some names. And I want to see where you think they would land. And I'll maybe either echo your sentiments or disagree or whatever. You could also say they're going to stay, by the way. You don't have to say they're necessarily going to get moved. Um, Let's start with Rick Nash. Okay. Um, I have been hearing... I, I think I heard Tampa was very interested in him. Mm-hmm. And not that I think in my mind that Tampa needs more forwards. Because, again, you want to talk about a team that's been really great at, at having their young players come in and, and fill in seamlessly into important slots. I mean, I think Tampa Bay stands out as a, as a good example of that. I think it would be hilarious if you went back to Columbus. That, yeah. would, be, <laughs> that would be a hoot. Um, uh, I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to say I'm going to say that I'm going to say that the Boston Bruins try to make a play for Rick Nash. All right. I like That's, it staying I just, on the East I Coast. Think, I think I think they're a team that as well as they've been doing which is just mind-bogglingly well at the moment right. for reasons I can't explain, forward depth is not their strong suit and Rick Nash can still be a 20-goal scorer. I think he's, he's pretty close to being a 20-goal scorer again this year. So if you put him on a team that's doing well like that and you just stick him on the power play with him, you can maybe take a little bit of pressure off of the, the first line of Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron and 
you know, the madness that they've been bringing about. And so that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Boston Bruins, Rick Nash. I like it. Um, I have him going to Nash going to Nash. Also possible. <laughs> Nash Very going rich. to Nash, Nashville Predators. And again, it's this is Only all because the NHL.com pun headlines would just write themselves. That's that exactly scenario. what I'm thinking. And also, like, we. I'm sure a lot of what we're going to say is based on what we've heard and all this stuff. And I, and from what I hear, like the Predators are really, really after it. And it being Rick Nash at this point. So I'm going to go with Nash on that one. Um, man, they would be a good team, huh? They're a good team right now. I don't think they even need to add them, but why not? This is their window, man. This is their window. They are They are exactly in the scenario to make plays like this and bring in guys like Rick Nash that you think are going to put you over the top or – bring back Mike Fisher out of retirement because that's the kind of power that they yield apparently these days. Yeah. You, right. You, you know, when, when you, when you're runner up for the Stanley cup, man, the, the <laughs> only thing you can really do is hit it again. You Absolutely. gotta, you kind of come back harder. Yeah. Um, so let's go to Mike green. I'll answer this one first. Uh, I think Mike green is going back home to Washington. Interesting. Uh, I, this is something that I've heard there's interest, and also Alexander Ovechkin, I think, publicly said, like, it would be great if Mike Green came back to Washington. Because <laughs> that's not just, tampering. Just, just flat out. I don't think I don't think he gives a good goddamn, you know, Ovi. I don't think he's <laughs> going to say whatever he's going to say. So I'm going to go with Ovi on this one, and I'm going okay. to say Green to Washington. I'm going to say Green to the Green of the Dallas Stars. Very nicely done. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I think the I think the connection there between um, you know uh, Jim Nill and and uh, and Dallas's uh, GM being a former Detroit executive, and also it, it fits a need for Dallas in terms of their blue line. I think Klingberg is having a hell of a season for them, but it's never going to hurt to have a little more offensive weaponry on the blue line. And tell me, you can name another defenseman on the Dallas Stars blue line aside from Klingberg at the moment? Dan Hamhuis. Perfect. <laughs> and you have illustrated my point, sir. Um, all right. Let's move on to Patrick Maroon. Mm-hmm. What say you? Patrick Maroon to the San Jose Sharks. Mm. I think he comes back to the Pacific Division, and because I don't like him... He's going to end up playing for a team that we don't like to play against. Patrick Maroon to the Sharks. So, so you're saying Oilers are going to trade him to the Sharks. So he'll be well, – he's strictly playing in the Pacific Division is Patrick that's, Maroon. I like that's that. His, that's his go-to at the moment. Well, I'm going to go even lazier than that. And I'm going to say Maroon goes to St. Louis where he is from, where nice. he got emotional on television one time because of family being there and all that. So, Maroon to St. Louis. This is something that I think I've heard as well. I've heard Maroon to Boston, too, but I'm going to pick St. Louis for him. I can see that. I can see Maroon to Boston, too, for the same reasons yeah, with Rick Nash. exactly. Uh, Max Pacioretty. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Oh, yeah. Because you keep hearing well, he, about it. Well, he's not it. a free agent, right? So he's you not. Keep that in mind. He's not. But, you know, if you believe that you talk about a guy enough times that it's, it's kind of the same PK Subban situation, right? Where everyone was like, come on, Subban just created a wing of a hospital and <laughs> everyone loves him in Montreal. And you know, he's, he's such like a flamboyant dude. He, he fits perfectly. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's gone. Not that Pacioretty is a flamboyant dude or anything. No, he's not. Um, you know, honestly, if, if Pacioretty does move, I'm going to say Vegas. Wow. Vegas has the chips to make a play like that and to land a guy that just makes you absolutely hate them. I like that, man. You know, yeah, I don't, I've never considered Vegas because I I think I'm still in that place where I, I still don't believe what's happening with them. And <laughs> I, I, I'm still waiting for them to be like, psych, we're sellers, you know, at the deadline. Just kidding. <laughs> like, yeah. But no, I like that. I'm going to say he's going to stay. Um, okay. I'm not saying he's going to stay forever, but I am saying he's going to stay through the deadline. And I think Montreal maybe tries to move him at the draft. Uh, that's just, I don't know. That's just more of a guess than anything. Uh, he's probably, Isn't that crazy, though? The Vegas has that capability. It is kind of crazy, yeah. so much better yeah. than you expected them to be. And because they have so much cap room and so many freaking assets. Right. Then now they can just do whatever they want to do. So I hope that George McPhee 
trades for Martin Erat and gives up a perennial <laughs> center left wing. If any Capitals fans are listening <laughs> to this, we are sorry. We are so sorry about that Forsberg for Erat trade. My God. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Evander Kane. I think you? Evander Kane. Uh, I'm trying to think. Trying to think where I think he's going to go to to the West Coast because I, I yes think I agree with just, you. That's that's just what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to say Evander Kane to St. Louis. I think that's that's what's going to happen. All right, I guess we're trading our picks for Maroon and Kane because I'm saying oh really Evander Kane to San Jose. Okay. Um, I think with Thornton now, they're going to need an offensive weapon. Um, I think maybe they take the risk with him. I don't know what the price is. I've heard ridiculous things. Uh, I don't even know if the Sharks could necessarily afford him, to tell you the truth. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when you know time comes and the, the deadline's winding down, I think your ridiculous prices of a first, a prospect, and a roster player, or whatever the hell they're asking for, probably sure. comes down a little bit. So I'm going to say the Sharks get Kane. Uh, let's go to Michael Grabner and Vardy. Michael Grabner is coming to Los Angeles, buddy. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's what we're predicting. <laughs> That's what I'm predicting. I like it. I wonder what we'll give up, but yes. I don't necessarily think the Kings are going to give up any kind of, like I said, first, second round pick, any huge futures or whatever. Uh, but I do get a feeling that maybe a lower end prospect and maybe a mid round draft pick in the end might get it done again just a guess uh but i'm saying grabner to la i don't mind it it'll definitely inject some offense in the in the second line and be very helpful so let's see what kind of magic blakey can pull off to to do that without giving up one of our prospects or first round picks yep and i think that's a great place with the kings to stop and pause this episode so vardy thank you for joining me again guys we will see you after the trade deadline where hopefully the kings will be in better shape record wise and maybe better shape roster wise until next time thank you for joining us listen to us on soundcloud on stitcher on itunes subscribe so you don't miss an episode because i know you don't want to see you guys next time